and sanctification, and we'll try to cover that in the next couple weeks. But uh, I just think it's really important. These topics that we're going to discuss in this, in this short series before we go into our next book um, are just the foundation of Christianity. I mean, they're foundational, and it's really important that all of us have a good grasp on them. So that being said, today we're going to talk about baptism, and baptism is one of the most important commands that God ever gave to believers, right? And despite that, still many believers struggle understanding its significance and its application, right? And there's a, there was a, a saying I heard an old preacher say one time, an old pastor, and he's a wise old guy, he said, the world is full of baptized non-Christians and unbaptized Christians, and that's absolutely true. It sounds really strange, but it, it's really true. And it, it just seems strange to me that that would be the case because of the importance of baptism, you would think everyone would make it their business to understand what it meant. Have you ever noticed that, I mean, different denominations interpret this and they practice this a lot of different ways. You guys notice that? If you talk to five different denominations, you might get five different definitions of what baptism actually is. But today we're just going to discuss just the facts, we're going to discuss what the Bible teaches. We won't t- uh, teach anything today. We can't prove the scriptures. Actually, we don't do that ever. But simply stated, baptism is the first step in a life, I mean a lifetime of walking with Jesus. Right Now, I always describe this to people as an outward expression of an inward change. Okay, now understand, uh, as we go through this, I might step on some toes. I don't apologize for that, but just realize I didn't write it. Okay, so anyway, let's jump in. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. 19. Uh, this was the... Great commission we started with. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, now, you may not realize this, but there are actually five different Greek words used to describe baptism. Okay, and uh, and stick with me. I'm I'm going through these for a reason. Uh, But the first is babto, and this is a verb, and this literally means to dip in or to dip under. And they would use this word to describe dyeing cloth. Because when they were going to dye cloth a certain color, that cloth would have to be submerged and held there so that the dye could get to all the cloth evenly. Okay, so that's the first uh, word that's used for it. The, uh, The second word is baptizo, which is transliterated baptize. And this is probably the one you see the most in the New Testament, right? And it's also the most flexible because it's a verb and it's used very, very flexibly here. Because when you see it in the scripture, it has both a literal and a figurative meaning. Okay? Now, the literal meaning is to be immersed. That's what it means. I mean, it means to be immersed, completely submerged, right? And the figurative meaning, you might want to remember this, is to be affiliated with or identified with. Okay? Those are the two meanings that you'll find for this verb, baptizo. And I'm going to give you an example of each one in scripture. I could give you a ton, but for time's sake, I'm just going to give you a few. So first, let's take a look at the literal example, and this is in Matthew chapter 3. It says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized, this is baptizo, the literal, uh, by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed, uh, as they confessed their sins. Now, this is where it means to be totally emerged. That's the definition used here. This is the literal. Now, the second one is the figurative meaning, to be affiliated with, right? 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the Red Sea. Now this is talking about the children of Israel when they went through the Red Sea when Moses parted it. And all were what? All were what? Baptized into Moses. Okay? It's not up there? 
I thought as I'm looking down, I'm thinking, it's not up there. <laughs> because Noah's quoting that, right? Okay, but, uh, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, so it's really important you understand when he says baptized into Moses, these are the children that went through the Red Sea when it was parted. And the irony is the whole purpose of that story was that God parted the Red Sea and they went through on dry ground. So no one that went through the Red Sea got wet. Yet it says they were baptized unto Moses. Now what does that mean? It means that when they decided to follow him through that sea, they decided to be affiliated with him, to be identified as believing in the God that he was teaching. They're walking through that Red Sea said, I believe what this guy's teaching. I want to be affiliated with him. So this is the figurative meaning that you'll see in the scripture. Okay, now uh, the next one is baptisma, and this is a noun, and this is the act of immersion or submerging, and this is usually used just for identification purposes, right? Like uh, the baptism of John. You guys ever heard that? Okay, the ba- I'm sorry, the baptism of John, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You heard that, I'm sure, right? That's what they'll use this word for that, right? Then there's baptismos, and this, this describes washing or cleansing. This is pretty simple. It's uh, used to describe the Jewish ritual of, of washing and cleansing, and ironically, the translators didn't use the word baptize. They didn't use a transliteration like they did with the others. They actually used the word washing and cleansing. But it is this Greek word. Uh, and the last here is, is uh, baptistes. And this one uh, is about the one who performs baptism. And the irony is, this is better translated baptizer or immersionist, right? And this is only used one time to describe one person. Anybody got any guesses who that might be? John the Baptist, that's the only time it's used. Now, I know that was a ton of stuff, but there's a reason. There's a reason I went through those. Because there is one Greek word you will never find in the New Testament that's in reference to baptism. Okay, you're never going to find this. And the Greek word is rantizo. Okay, and what that means is to sprinkle or sprinkling. You will never find that in reference to baptism anywhere in the Scripture. Every single usage of the word baptism in every form verb or noun every single usage always refers to full immersion or submersion okay now i know that might rub some people wrong i didn't write it god inspired people to write it i'm just telling you the story so as the old saying says you know don't shoot the messenger but it's true it's never mentioned in that way now i want to give you a disclaimer i don't think that all other forms of baptism other than immersion are sin that's not what i'm saying What I'm saying is if you're going to practice it according to the biblical teaching of it, it has to be immersion because that's all the scripture will teach, okay? Now, here's something else you may not know. Did you realize that baptism isn't just a New Testament thing? It was practiced in the Old Testament too because see, if Gentiles, that just means non-Jewish people, right? If they wanted to convert to Judaism, they first had to be circumcised if they were a man, which... I would never question anyone's commitment, you know, once they went through that. It's not like they're going to say, I'll try this out. When a guy heard that, they're either thinking, you know what, I don't want to be a Jew that bad. Or they're saying, I'm fully committed, right? So the first thing they had to do if it were a man was they had to be circumcised, and this was a physical covenant between Israel and God, okay, between the Hebrews and God. The second thing that had to happen was they had to be fully immersed in water. That had to happen if they were going to make that transition. So basically, baptism. And what they believed was that it symbolized your new life as a Jew. 
It symbolized that you were no longer a pagan. You were no longer believing the Gentile ways. Now you believe the way of the God of Israel. So it symbolized a new life. Does that sound familiar? Okay, that's how it was used. Realistically, I don't know if you realize this, but the Jews still practice this today. If you want to convert to Judaism today, there's still two phases. If you're a man, you still have to be circumcised, right? So you are still dead serious if you do it. But if you've already been circumcised, they will draw some blood as, you know, as symbolism of circumcision. So they'll like draw a drop of blood from you, okay, so that there's still a physical uh, aspect to that, right? And then the next thing they'll do is they still will give you this, it's, some people refer to it as a spiritual bath. It's actually called mikvah. And what it means is they will immerse you in this water to symbolize new life. And that comes with all the appropriate prayers, right? Now, here's the irony. Here's the, here's the irony. Guess what they call the water in the mikvah? They say it's the living water. I mean, they're right at the doorstep, aren't they? I mean, they're right there. But that's what they call it, right? So all that being said, so when Jesus told the disciples, go out into all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a completely new concept that they're going to go, whoa, what's that? I mean, they had understood uh, this practice for some time. Now, I'm going to probably tick some more people off, but here's where we're going to talk about some of the myths about baptism, and there are a ton of them out there, right? Because how Christians should practice baptism is one of the hottest topics of debate out there. I mean, it is a hot topic of debate, right? Now, some, some denominations teach infant baptism. Anybody ever heard of that? That means baptized as a baby, okay? Now, the reasoning is that they believe baptism washes away our original sin when you're a baby. Now, original sin uh, is a term that just means the sin that mankind is born with or your sin nature. Did you guys realize that everyone is born with a sin nature? So if you have kids, it don't take long to realize that, right? So they believe that infant baptism washes away that sin nature, that original sin. Right now, here's the thing. There is no scriptural example. There is no scriptural precedence for this anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't exist. Okay, it's what the Bible says. And let me explain why this is unnecessary. I'm not saying it's a sin if you do it. And if you're really mad about it, you can email Kevin. But, but here's why it, it, it's, you know, it's irrelevant. Here's why. Because first of all, children are not accountable for their sin until they understand sin. Right, until they understand what sin is and that they've committed it. Right? Uh, some people call that the age of what? Accountability. accountability, the age of accountability. People always ask me, what is the age of accountability? I don't know. I mean, some people understand sin when they're five. Some people understand sin when they're 25. I don't know. You know, I, I can't make that determination. But the Apostle Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 9. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. Now, what that means is Paul was saying, before the law told me what sin was and that I was committing it, I was alive, meaning, you know, if it went, he wasn't dead to his transgressions. He was alive. He wasn't accountable yet. He said, but when the commandment came, meaning the law came and said, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and he understood that what he was doing was wrong, then he became dead in his sins and transgressions. You see what I mean? Because now he knew what he was doing. Babies are not accountable for their sin. They are God's perfect example of grace, and we could only hope to attain that level of spirituality, you know, the, uh, as what a baby has. I, has anybody here ever thought about 
the relationship a baby has with God. I wonder if they can see, you know. Have you ever held your baby and it's kind of like looking at something? You're going, what are you? you, ever, you ever, has that ever happened to anybody? Please tell me I'm not the only one. I don't have the only warped kids. Okay, good. But, you know, I, they have this amazing close relationship with God. And, and until they're accountable, there's no reason for that. Okay, now the second example of reason this, this infant baptism is not necessary uh, is because uh, every example of baptism in the Bible, every last example was a matter of choice for the baptism candidate. Okay, meaning every example you see, they had to choose to be baptized. It's an intelligent decision that they make. That's the only, I mean, the only precedence we have in Scripture. Is what it is. That's the only precedence we have in Scripture. Right? Now, enough with infant baptism. Now, uh, others believe that baptism washes away your sins. Okay, that it washes away. If that were true, let me tell you something. If that were true, I would take every gun I have and I would force everybody I know in here and make them get in that tank. I would, I'd say, get in that tank. You're seeing Jesus right now. Get in that tank. <laughs> I would. Think about it. I would walk around knocking people over in swimming pools and holding them down and baptizing them, if that were true. <laughs> if that were true, that's what I would do. Okay? But what, this, what they believe when they believe this is a sin of commission, they believe that washes away. Now, what a sin of commission is, is this is a sin that we do knowingly and willfully. Basically, all of our sins. Right? And so, for a long time, people taught if you were baptized, it washed away sin. There again, there's absolutely no biblical evidence of this, and it actually contradicts a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I think we all get that one, right? Now, here's one I'll spend a little more time on. This is a biggie. But there's another doctrine out there called baptismal regeneration. Okay? Baptismal regeneration. There's several churches that believe this and, and religions that believe this. So this doctrine teaches that salvation is not complete until you're baptized. Then it's complete. Okay, I, literally, this is, this is no joke. There was a, a man that was dying in the hospital, and he literally had hours, and he said, you know, he had believed there at the last few days. And he said, I really want to be baptized. And, the, you know, they were really pushing for that. So the doctor said, well, it's not going to change anything. You know, he's going to, he probably won't make it through the day. So they took him from the, from the hospital room to take him to be baptized, and he died on the way. And that pastor, no joke, preached that this man was minutes from heaven. Do you really think God is that technical? God says, well, you believed in my son and everything he did, but there is that whole you didn't get baptized thing. You know, you died too early. Sorry, not on me. That's not how it works. That is not how it works, right? Now, as I said last week, Jesus told us everything that was required for salvation time and time and time again. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Anybody see baptism listed in there anywhere? I think this would be the perfect opportunity to mention that fact, don't you? I mean, when you're telling people how to believe, I don't think I'd be leaving stuff out. You know, he said, the one who believes has eternal life. Okay? Now, there are a few, there's a ton of verses that people who believe in baptismal regeneration will throw at you. And for time's sake, I'm not going to cover all of them. Okay? But I do want to cover two of the big ones. Two of the most popular, all right? Now, both of these, I want you to understand, are used out of context. And what you'll find is when people are teaching you false doctrine, they will generally give you a scripture that sounds exactly like what they believe, but they don't read what's before it, and they don't read what's after it. Context determines meaning, okay? If you're reading the sports page, you're probably reading about what? 
Sports. See, that's very good. Right? You're reading about sports. If you want to find out what's happening in the lifestyles, you don't read sports. You read the lifestyle section because context determines meaning. Okay? So here's one of the passages they love to use, and I'm sure some of you have heard this in Acts chapter 2. This is at the day of Pentecost, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you, what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, what you have to pay attention to is the word and. Okay, because there are two concepts that Peter is introducing here when he's talking to them. There are two concepts. First, how to believe, and second, how to have fellowship with God. Now, remember, if you read the context, he's talking to a lot of people who probably were those yelling, crucify him. These were probably some of the people in the crowd that said, release Barabbas to us. Okay, so these people had openly rejected Jesus at one time. And so what Peter is telling them, because they want to know how to have a relationship with Christ, how to go to heaven, he says, I want you to repent, which means to believe. Now, a lot of people think repenting and believing are two totally different topics, and they're not in relation to salvation. Because the word repent in the Greek means to change your mind or direction, right? And the word believe means to be convinced of something. So listen, when someone repents, when someone believes in Jesus, they change their mind from believing he is not their Savior into believing that he is. So that means that they have believed in him and they have changed their mind, so they have repented about what they used to believe. So repentance and believing are two sides of the same coin. You see what I mean? You can't do one without the other. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not changing my mind about who he is. That is impossible. You have to change your mind about who he is. Okay, so this is what Peter was trying to do. He was First, he was saying, you know, I want you to believe, right? Repent, believe, and I want you to be baptized. Now, why would he say that? Remember, these are the people who rejected Jesus openly. He was saying that because he was trying to teach them how to have a personal relationship, a good walk with Christ. He's saying, you need to be baptized. And the reason you need to be baptized is if you want to experience all of the blessings that come with faith, you can't be like you were hiding in the closet. That can't happen. God will not bless the closet Christians. Okay, those people who only them and God know they're saved, God is not going to move powerfully in that person's life. He's saying, just like you rejected Jesus, now be baptized and affiliate yourself with him so that God can not only give you eternal life, but bless your life and use you to reach others here. So in a nutshell, according to context, what Peter was saying was, believe for your salvation and your baptism will bring your close fellowship and your blessing. That's what he was teaching in that verse. That's all the context will allow. Now, the second is also found in the book of Acts, and this happened after the conversion of Paul. You know, Saul to Paul. Side note. A lot of people make something really spiritual about him being Saul and then being called Paul. Oh, that's just, he got a new name because he got a new nature. That sounds awesome, but it's just not true. Okay. We're, it was just the, the Hebrew versus the Greek equivalent of his name. I mean, sorry I had to blow that cool interpretation, but that's what it was. It's, I mean, because, you know, it's not like everybody in here got a new name. You know, so or Paul would be walking around going, you know, I got the new name when I got saved. None of you got, that's not what was being taught here. Okay, so anyway, this is after the conversion of Paul. And this is Ananias. And he says, now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in his name. Okay, now, 
Paul had already been baptized at this point. Okay, Paul had already been baptized at this point. Uh, and, and it's really important that you understand that, uh, this, that, that what was happening here was he was saying, listen, I know that your sins have been washed away by your faith in Christ. I understand that. But see all these people out here? They remember Paul the murderer. That's who they remember. They remember Paul the persecutor. That's who they remember. So you've believed, awesome, but you know what you need to do? You need to get up and show everybody that something's happened in here. You need to get up and let everybody know that you're not the same person you used to be. In the example of Paul, they're saying, listen, yeah, you believe, but they still see you as a killer. But when you step in that water and come out, you are making a public proclamation for Christ, and the sin that they see in your life will be washed away because they know that the old Paul would never do that. You guys follow along with me there? That's what we're teaching there. He's not telling them, you know, to get up and and get baptized to finish off salvation. That's not what he was teaching. That's not the context, right? He was saying, listen, you believe that washed your sin away in the eyes of God. Now, if you want to have an effective ministry, you better show them it's been washed away. Everybody with me? Don't stare at me blankly like I'm the tax guy. All right? Now, the, the last misunderstanding, and not, probably not the only one, but the last misunderstanding about baptism is one I want to spend a little bit of time also on, and it's a myth. But a lot of people believe that you have to make sure you're good and ready to get baptized. You ever hear that? You ever hear people say that? They believe, but they're not going to get baptized until they're good and ready. And sometimes people even tell them that. Here are the qualifications for baptism. Here's what you must do before you get baptized. You ready? Get out your pens. Believe. Period. End. Put your notes away. That's it. You will not find anything else in the scripture. You believe. Step two, get baptized. That is the next step. It doesn't make you any more saved, but it will make you closer to him. This is the first command that he gives you. Okay, that's it. Just believe. All the other qualifications people try to dump on you, and I've heard churches say, well, you've got to understand what baptism means, and you have to understand, you know. No, you don't have to. You've got to know that Jesus asked you to do it, and you do it. That's how it works. Okay, so all those other things are just ploys the enemy trying to hinder your obedience. Because he knows the longer he can keep you from being baptized, the longer he can keep you from being fully effective. So all the other stuff comes from him. Now, I'm going to give you the top five reasons that I know of that people don't want to get baptized. Top five. Okay, it sounds like David Letterman in half. Anyway, the first reason people don't get baptized as soon as they believe is because they're either uninformed or ignorant. And when I say ignorant, I'm not, it's not an insult. Okay, but what that means is that they either don't know about the command or purpose of baptism or they don't understand it. Okay, that's the first reason people may not get baptized as soon as they believe, right? And some people in this category, because they don't understand it, think, oh, the stars have to align, and I have to make sure I'm not cussing anymore, and I have to make sure that I'm good to my neighbor that I can't stand anymore. i got to make sure that everybody's there and all my family's in town. I have to, and they just come up with all this stuff. That's not required. It's just an excuse to keep you from being closer to God, right? got to wait till this person comes or wait till my faith is stronger. Listen, baptism isn't about you and anybody but you and Jesus. That's what it's about. Baptism is about the relationship between you and your Savior, being affiliated with, being identified as publicly a believer in Jesus Christ. I've had people say, I want to get baptized. Can I do it when nobody's here? I'm like, 
Well, you could. I think it kind of shoots the whole thing in the foot a little bit. I already know you're saved. Baptism isn't going to convince me. You know, but it, you know, hey, I mean, it's doing it, but the point of being baptized is to make this public profession. Okay, it's, it's not about anyone else. It's about you and Jesus. That's what it's about. First step of obedience. Now, the second reason people don't get baptized is they're afraid to be in front of people or they're afraid of what people might think. Anybody ever heard that one? Okay, that's, that's a big one. See, people have told me for years that they're saved and not baptized. And I'll preach a message like this, and they'll come up to me and say, I really feel burdened. I'm like, why? They say, well, I haven't been baptized. I'm like, how long have you been saved? Oh, five years. I'm like, well, you should be burdened. That's, that's like a major command. That should be your step two. But here's what happens. They're worried about what people will think. Right? And let me explain that. I've had people tell me, well, what if they think I just got saved because I'm just now getting baptized? I'm like, hmm, who cares? Who cares what they think? Did Jesus ask you to be baptized? Then get baptized. Whatever they think, who cares? Right? Or, I mean, that's one of the things they say. Or they'll say, you know, if I've done, if I do that, I'm afraid people are going to think that, you know, I made a bunch of mistakes and I'm getting a do-over baptism. I'm like, what? Have you been baptized? No, get in the tank. You know, I mean, that drives me crazy. What that is, is that's pride. We're more worried about what the world is going to think than what God thinks. You know, you're going to have a rough time having a faithful walk with Christ if you're worried about what everybody thinks. So I got a newsflash for you. I don't want to spoil the end of the story for you. The world doesn't like us much. Just going to let you know that, okay? So baptized or not, they're not going to like you if they know you're a Christian, so you might as well go all in, right? That's another reason. Okay, here's another one. Indifference, okay? This means they're too distracted to make it a priority. This one bugs me, to be honest. They all bug me, but this bugs me a lot. Because these people either say, well, I'm just too busy. I mean, I don't have to do it to go to heaven, right? <laughs> I'm going, way to use a loophole. You know what I mean? Well, I don't have to do it to go to heaven, so I just figure, why mess with it right now? I'll do it when I got time. First of all, your attitude scares me, right? And second of all, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. But if you want to have a close walk with him where God is blessing you and using your life, you have to be. You do have to be. It's kind of like this. Yes, you're going to heaven. How smooth do you want the road to get there to be? You know, because the Bible says the way of a transgressor or someone who's disobedient is hard. Okay, now, the fifth reason, this one actually makes sense. Uh, the fifth reason people don't get baptized is because they haven't believed. I'm all for that one. If you haven't believed, don't get baptized. Don't do it. You're just going in wet and or dry and unregenerate and coming out wet and unregenerate, so it doesn't make any difference. Do not get baptized if you're not a believer. Okay, so... Listen, the only reason people have these excuses is because those excuses, the origin of those excuses is from the enemy. He knows how much closer it bonds you to God when you do that. Now, there were so many different ways I could teach the application of baptism in the scriptures, and I had to really mull this one over. But I chose to use uh, this one in Acts chapter 8 because I think this story perfectly illustrates the application of baptism. There's a lot of reading here, so... Jump in with me here. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that, des uh, that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of 
Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay? Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. I've I got to stop for a second. Have, have you ever felt the Spirit say you need to talk to them? Anybody ever feel that? People read this and they think that it's something majestic that only happened in the Bible. I, I don't know about you, but there's been times, I'm, uh, this is going to make me sound so unspiritual, there's times I just don't want to, you know, and the Spirit's going, no, 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 you need to talk to them. I'm like, but the game's on in three minutes, Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> no, you need to talk to them. All right, just saying, just being honest. Um, then the Spirit said to Philip, go up uh, and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and... As a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his, uh, who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, Please tell me, of whom does this uh, prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. Okay? So, listen to this, verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? I like this guy's attitude, right? I mean, he just gets Jesus preached to him. It's obvious he believed, right? And somehow Peter has moved this into baptism, or Peter, uh, Philip has moved this into baptism, right? So I I think this is amazing because he sees this water and he says, so, hey, I need to be baptized, there's water. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all he said, right? Verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Notice that, into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up, uh, when they came up out of the water, notice he came up out of the water. Just throwing that in. The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch was no long, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went away, went on his way rejoicing. So, Philip was taken away by the spirit, and along comes this official from the Ethiopian, from the country of Ethiopia, uh, the treasurer actually, and he's, this guy's just reading the book of Isaiah. Now, that's the, tell me that God didn't just tee one up for him. I mean, <laughs> this is just teed it up. If he misses this, he's just an idiot. It's not like he can say, "Which one do you want me to talk to, Lord?" Can't be the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah in the chariot. Can't be that guy. Now imagine the entourage that was probably traveling with this guy, right? And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I? I mean, somebody needs to guide me in this. I I don't really get it. So Peter jumps up and takes this opportunity to teach him everything. I mean, we realize here that he taught him about Jesus. He taught him about salvation. He got to baptism. He must have been preaching 100 miles an hour. Either that or this was a long trip, right? He explains the whole process to him. And then the Ethiopian believed, and he asked the, the question that's perfect, the perfect question. I wish every new believer would ask this question. He said, okay, well, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized? I mean, 
You talk about understanding it. What's beautiful about this is this Ethiopian had probably been around pagan religions his whole life where you had to, you know, tip the cosmic scale in your favor if you wanted your deity to look at you, right? And now he hears about this guy who died on his behalf. All he had to do was believe in him. And once he believes in him, he gets baptized to, you know, you have to be baptized to affiliate yourself with him. And he's going, wow, that is a great deal. I believe that. Dunk me. Right? I mean, I love that. Just immediately put me in the water and Philip baptized him. Now notice Philip didn't say, well, I don't know. I want to see you live your life for a while, see if you really have the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, there's a few classes we want you to take before we baptize you. You know, I almost said a denomination, but if it was one denomination, he definitely had to go through committee, right? He didn't say any of that. He didn't say, wait, let's call all your family from all over the country and have them all come in. There's nothing wrong with that, but he didn't require it, did he? Right? The, the only thing he said is he said, what is keeping me from being baptized? And Peter said, do you believe? And he said, yes. And he says, let's get in the water. That's it. I, that, this is the perfect application for this. I mean, the perfect application for baptism. Okay, now imagine what probably happened with this unit. He went back to this pagan country, and I'm just imagine he and his crew probably were just rocking the Jesus message all over that place. You know, there was probably a revival got started there because of this, because of the obedience of Philip and the obedience that this Ethiopian eunuch took on his, on his first hearing of the gospel. Okay, so to wrap it up, which I would say to wrap it up shortly, but we're past that. Okay, so to wrap all this up, the significance of baptism is actually twofold. Okay, first, it's the new believer's first act of obedience and discipleship to God. Okay, if there were a list, number one would be believe, number two would be get baptized. Right, that, that would be the order of the list. Right, then we'd start the sanctification process. I'm just selling next week's message, Okay. Right, so that would be the first, the first part of it is the first act of obedience and discipleship, right? Now, the second part of it is that it tells the world that you've been redeemed and you have a new life in Christ. Basically, it, you know, before the enemy has time to set his doubts in you, before the enemy has time to attack everything you've heard, and he will, he will, if you give him time, he will attack you. I know people right now that say, I'm, you know, I really want to get baptized, but I'm afraid if I do... I'll have to give up some of these sins that I have in my life because everybody looks at you once you're baptized. God really pays attention. He's paying attention before you got baptized. If you're doing it, you're going to get in trouble for it either way with God. You might as well get up and make the commitment, right? But people just don't understand this. It's simple. You believe to go to heaven. You get baptized to say, I believe I'm one of yours. I want everybody to know I'm one of yours, and I want you to know when you give a commandment, I'll keep it. Even if I don't understand it, I'll keep it. That's the significance of baptism. Now, next week, we're going to jump into to, uh, sanctification and discipleship, which are amazing, amazing topics, and I'm excited about preaching those. But for now, I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. We'll close there. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation, and the reason is, is we believe the Word of God's powerful. And it's amazing how the Word of God knows how to speak to you right where you are. You know, there are times I'll preach a message that, in my mind, has nothing to do with salvation. And afterwards, someone will say, gosh, during that message, I just felt like God was telling me I needed, to, I needed to believe. And I'm like going, wow, I don't know where you got that one. You know, where they got it is God was speaking to them personally and individually. 
And so we always give an invitation to give somebody the opportunity to react to that. And if there's someone here who would like me to pray for them, not sure where you stand with Christ, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just make eye contact with me or slip your hand up, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down or, or try to you know, trap you after church or any of those scams. I just want to pray for you. Bless those people. Bless those people. And if you're listening or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. Believers, especially if you're a believer that hasn't been baptized, I want to pray for you because you haven't yet begun to experience the closeness you can have with Christ until you make that step. Because he publicly pronounced his love for you when he was hung on a cross. All he's asking is that you affiliate yourself with him by being baptized. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I say this every week, I say this every day, but I am so amazed that you can love someone like me. Only I know how desperately sin destroyed my life. It still does. I know and I realize every day that I can never be perfect. And I am so thankful that your love and your grace are so much greater than my sin and my shortcoming. I thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your only son to die innocently on a cross so that I could have eternal life, not by what I do, but by what I believe. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, impart on their heart how simple it really is to become one of yours. Just simply believing that what Jesus did was enough will guarantee their eternal lives. And if they make that decision today, I pray they reach out to us or to someone close to them that's a believer. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, if someone's here that's believed that hasn't been baptized, all the excuses, all the fears, remove those, Lord. We want them to experience the fullness of your relationship with them. And we pray that all of us that know you will live up or do our best to live up to that profession. God, we just pray as we leave here today that you would go with us and keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of, at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.